0: Good morning. Andy Stanley is a long, uh, long-standing minister, author, um, speaker from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And he uh, he told a story some time ago that I'd like to relate to you today. <clears throat> he tells a story about when his children were, were young. They're all grown now, but when they were about seven, five, and three years old, Andy Stanley went out and bought a gently used but nice, uh, nice infinity. It wasn't a new car, but it was a nice car. And he loved this car. He parked it in his garage after he'd washed and waxed it and uh, went inside. And the next day he went out to go to work and he noticed on the driver's side door a large a scratched on the side of the car with several other unintelligible letters beside it. He was immediately furious. And he dragged his two older boys out to the garage and he demanded an answer. Who did this? And the boys shuffled their feet and looked to the floor and, and one of them said, Allie did it, Daddy. Allie was the youngest, the only girl, the three-year-old. He took her out to the garage, and he showed her the damage, and he said, Allie, did you do that? And she looked at him with a smile and pride and said, Yes, Daddy, I did. What did Mr. Stanley do? What would you do? I'll tell you later. In this series on all things new, we're looking at new mercies, new compassions, compassions that never fail. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. To understand the context of Lamentations 3, you need to go back when you get home and read the first three chapters up to 322 and realize the depths of which Jeremiah was writing that wonderful verse. In Old Testament, uh, the word for compassion and sometimes translated mercy is racham. Everyone say racham. And so it's kind of like when people used to say my last name in the old country, Frech you got to spit afterwards. So, racham. In the New Testament, the Greeks used the word splachnon. And I like this word, the splachnon, compassion. Some slimes mercy or affection. Uh, everyone say splachnon, okay? It literally means bowels, intestines. Uh, so when you see I, I mean, nobody, nobody gets grossed out when you see I heart you right? Why is this so bad? Because in, in Hebrew thought, the heart wasn't the center of emotion as it is in, in our modern Western thinking. When you feel strongly, whether it's good or bad, where do you sense it? Right there in your gut. And some of us react physically with emotional, it, it affects your body and it starts right here, doesn't it in Luke 178 we're talking about the tender mercy of God two words that double up and underline just how great God's love is so it's the outward manifestation of pity according to Vines dictionary it assumes need on the part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it All in all, words for compassion like pity, mercy, heart went out, deeply moved, tenderness, these occur almost 100 times in Scripture. In James 5.11, Job's perseverance under trial all came to a happy ending, and it's described by James as, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And the word there is polysplachnos, many splachnoses, right? Ultra-mega-mercy. And in Matthew 15, Jesus described himself as having splagnatsizomai. Don't try saying that, because I just messed it up. He had splagnas for the crowds of people following him because they were hungry. Don't send them away. Give them something to eat before they go. And through his ministry, Jesus had compassion on all kinds of people. Most of the time, he was moved to compassion by those that society tends to forget. Those pushed to the curb, they're ignored, they're rejected. It's unclean, dirty, hopeless. He stopped to help a woman who'd been bleeding for years. Ceremonially unclean by Jewish standards. He touched her and healed her. He physically touched the unclean lepers, that were supposed to be within a stone's throw of anybody. Because if they got closer than that, they could get hit by a rock. And he allowed women who had questionable moral history to hang around him and minister with him. Henry Ward Beecher once said, compassion will cure more sins than condemnation. And George Washington Carver, you can go see his museum not too far from here, said, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and the strong. Because someday in your life, you will have been all of these. But it's not always easy, is it? It's not often you quote Frederick Nietzsche in a sermon, but I'm going to now. One of the most famous atheists uh, in our era said, Beggars should be entirely abolished. Truly, it is annoying to give to them and annoying not to give to them. Don't you see that's true sometimes? Can you relate? I mean, if you do something for that guy with the cardboard sign on the side of the road, you feel like you might be doing something, but then you might not. You might be doing something and it's going to be the same thing for him tomorrow, but if you don't do something, your conscience kind of digs into you, and you think, well, I hope the guy in the next car does something for him. And you just wonder, what's it, what's it going to do if I do something? What's it going to do if I don't do something? And there's always this cynic in, in some of us that just says, well, the preacher uh, in a church we attended in southern Indiana um, once highlighted a, a man that he found in Florida with a picture. The man had a sign that says, Who needs food? I want a beer. At least he was being honest, he said. Now, that's a cynic for you. That is, that's, a, that's a problem in my own heart when I get to that point. Because I'm not sure that Jesus would react the way I react. I think he would have more splockna than I do. For me, seeing people in that dredges up all kinds of conflicting emotion." there is that feeling in the belly that wants to do something. And then there is that other voice that says, oh, if they would just do something to help themselves, and I don't even know their story. It's an exercise in our own prejudices, isn't it? That kind of compassion, that kind of mercy, that kind of Jesus-like love that we think, well, some other charity will help with that, or some other person will help with that, or some police officer will come along, or maybe even a different neighbor will help that person. Maybe, even, maybe it's not even a homeless person. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. That How selective are we about our splach now? Jesus, Jesus healed ten lepers and only had one to come back and thank him. Do you think you'll get better odds? I think not. We give compassion. And here, here's, here's my, I'm going to put this in, uh, in bookend here. We give compassion to the degree that we feel we need it. Hear this. We have a heart for people to the extent that we have received mercy. James said, mercy triumphs over judgment. But we don't see that played out all the time, do we? I think being judgmental is so much easier than being merciful. Showing mercy takes the humility that is developed when we accept mercy from God and from others when we know we absolutely do not deserve it. When we don't accept mercy from God every day, we're not likely to give it to somebody else. We're finding interesting things in our new home these days. You know, stuff that's not disclosed. Things that you don't see on the walk through the first time or the second time. On the inside of Kara's bedroom door, there we found this little thing. It's a hole. And somebody wrote, Andy, June twenty eighth, 2004. There's a story There. I don't know what it is, but at some point, Andy made a hole in his bedroom door. And the question is, who took the Sharpie and put that up there? The question is, did the kid do that? Because he was proud of it and wanted to, you know, I did that. Was it the parent who did that? because they wanted to remind the kid of what happened. And I'm not fixing it. See, I, I, I got the story about the, uh, the car, and then I found this and thought, this is perfect, because when it comes to mercy, some of you are the one who put the, the hole in the door You felt awful for it because it came from somewhere inside of you that was ugly and mean and it was hateful and you put a hole in your life and you wrote your name and you dated that spot right there and you want to make sure you remember, you wanted to remind yourself how badly you messed it up to recall how unworthy you are and ask God once again for forgiveness. And you ask God for forgiveness again, and you ask God for forgiveness again, and He's, and He's up there saying, "What? I I forgave that. What are you talking? Oh, that you? Okay, stop. I re, my, You know what? I forgot about that. But since you brought it up, I forgive you again. You know, God is up there going, "Why? Why are you bringing this up again? I forgave it. I forgot it." Some of you are, are the ones that you wrote your own name and date up there, and you think that you have to carry that around with you your entire life. But on the other hand, some of you live as if God wrote your name on that door. And God is the one who was reminding you, don't ever forget when you did that. And he looks at you when he walks in the room and he looks at the door and he looks at you and says, really? Is that, really? I raised you better than that. You should have known. And I, right now, I'm writing this up there and I don't ever want you to forget how disgusted I am. at You even come, just don't talk to me. And God walks out of the room and slams the door that you put the hole in. Some of us operate like that. And I'm here to tell you that neither one of those are biblical. Neither one of those are Jesus. Neither one of those are the Holy Spirit. Both of those are the accuser, the father of lies, and the destroyer of souls. And it is he who wants you to remain in your sin. It is he who wants you never to let that go. It is the devil who does not want you to remember that you are forgiven and healed He doesn't want you to remember that Jesus took that into account when he came and took on the punishment for that sin. He did everything necessary to repair that hole. He he made it new. The scars are on his hands and feet, not yours. He carried the shame. He bears the scars. What's the point here? I think Jesus expects the kind of mercy and compassion out of us that we have been given by Him. We can never outgive God, but Jesus said, He who has been forgiven much loves much. And he who has been forgiven little loves little. The more we understand the compassion of God free to us, the, the freer we are to extend mercy, to extend mercy to those around us. And Jesus' disciples ask, well, how many times? Seven times? No, no. Seventy times, seven. Don't even count. So what happened to Andy Stanley's little girl? After Allie had confessed to scratching her daddy's car up, he had to figure out what to do. So he writes this. It would have been absurd to demand that Ali pay for the damage. Fair, maybe, but unrealistic. What's $400 mean to a three-year-old? Where would she get the money? What do you do in that kind of situation? Sever the relationship? Demand payment? Rant? Rave? Beat the child? Of course not. I did the only thing I could do for someone I loved as much as I love her. I knelt down took her by the hand, pointed to the car, and said, Allie, please don't do that anymore. And she said, yes, sir, Daddy. And she hugged me and ran back inside. Andy concludes, I continued to love her as much as ever. I paid for the damage she caused. I wasn't concerned about fairness. What's most appropriate was grace and mercy, even if it meant that I had to pay for what she had done. So, when you and I get up Monday morning, you'll have a choice. You can look at the holes that you've put in your life and in the lives of others with all the names and dates and scenarios and the shame that goes along with them. You can look at all of that, and you can listen to the accuser and believe all the lies he's told you about how worthless you are, about how far gone and how impossible it is to forgive you, and God would never really care for you because of how bad you are. You could, you could, you are, you could believe that you're a terrible person and you're an even worse Christian. Or, you can believe against all your better judgment that Jesus really did forgive those sins. That he really did take the punishment for them if indeed you've asked him for that forgiveness and accepted his gift of life. You can look at that door, the bedroom door or a car door that used to be full of scratches and holes and see, you can see all the work that Jesus has done to to make it new. To repair it to make it even better than it was before. And you can give thanks to God that he loved you enough to extend mercy to you. And then for the rest of that day, you can extend mercy. You can have your insides moved and have a heart for those around you. The suffering of a friend, a neighbor, a coworker that's hard to love, a spouse that's stressed, or a child that's driving you to your last nerve, you can extend mercy to others. God's mercy is our new every day. And if you've never known that mercy from God, if he's always been that distant taskmaster that's, con- that's continually disgusted with you, you need to know the good news. You need to know that it's different than that. You need to listen to different voices. And we'd love to tell you all about the mercy of God through Christ, that Jesus showed us by his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes all we have is a prayer that says, Lord, have mercy. And we're, we're so glad that you freely extend that to us and that you are glad when your children come and ask for it. You are so generous. You will teach us. You will discipline. And you will show sometimes that there are lessons to be learned. But I, I'm thankful that you're a patient God. And it's in his name we say, amen.